Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.28 a.m. Pacific Daylight Time. It is the 11th day of August, 2023. This is episode 771 of Bitcoin, and there's all kinds of shit going on. We've got the SEC punting, again, as usual. Uh, we got some, uh, apparently there's some also some S- SEC XRP, or Ripple News, they're going after it again. WorldCoin is doing some weird shit. Um... What else have we got going on here? Oh, oh, Post Malone. Um, yeah, the Post Malone Joe Rogan interview. Everybody on on in the Bitcoin front is talking about it. Eh, I'll give it to you. It's just two guys that actually you know have figured shit out. I don't think it's all that spectacular, but you know, thankfully, um, I, I'll, I'll have a, a clip of that for you. Alameda's back in the news. Bank of Canada's hitting some snags with their CBDC. And uh, Uncle Rockstar is also in the news. Uh, I do want to say a couple things about Domus Zaps, Noster in general. It appears that one of the iOS uh, Noster clients, and I cannot for the love of me remember the name of the actual client, has been able to to get instant zaps to remain on their client after their app store review. So what Domus is not allowed to do, this smaller client that I can't even remember the name of, they can. And so the question becomes, is that, you know, is that uh, on Apple's part, is that, I don't know, like, is it either incompetence, you know, in, in so far that, uh, they took it through the same people, and the same people missed what was a very big deal, like you know, a few months ago. Or is it on purpose? Uh, somehow or another, they want Domus to fail and this other one to succeed. I honestly think it's the former. I don't think it's. I don't think there's something nefarious going on at Apple. Well, okay, Apple's nefarious anyway, but I don't think this is centered on they're trying to wreck Domus and and get this other one up. I think. They're just showing everybody how incompetent they are because it was the same, it was the exact same thing. It would violate whatever it was, chapter 3.5.11 of their revenue model or whatever it was that that got Domus all in the hot water and and forced JB55 to pull out the instant zap on notes. And yet here we go again and the same people reviewing, they just missed it this time. So what I suspect is going to happen is more likely it's going to be the case that they're going to re-review this thing at one point in time, and they're going to tell the people of this that are you know doing this particular client that they've got to pull that shit out or they get delisted off the app store. I think it's 
very much less of a chance that Domus is able to use this as a catalyst to reinstate instant zaps on notes. So all the people that are taking a victory lap on a Nostra today might want to rethink that because Apple will probably catch their mistake and uh, rectify that shit. Now, uh, I got a song for you today. No, it's not Oliver Anthony's tune. We'll we'll get into that one here in a second. I got another one for you on Wave Lake. The guys from Wave Lake finally reached out on DM on Noster to a question that I had about whether or not it was it was if it was okay for me to play the the music and kind of help boost the artists that are over there, you know, trying to scratch together a living on Wave Lake. Um, by playing their songs on the show in full length. Um, and they said, yes, it's totally fine. And in fact, they are getting, ah, what did they say? They're getting prepared to be able to give podcasters the tools to divert sats to that particular artist. And that's all they said. Adam Curry has demonstrated on more than one occasions on his podcasting 2.0 podcast um, he's got the tools that he just basically, when you're listening to the podcast, it automatically switches at that timestamp when the song that he plays starts and it starts streaming, whatever Satoshi's you're streaming to podcasting 2.0, it starts redirecting over to the address of the artist as long as the artist is, has some kind of valid lightning network address. And then when the song ends at that timestamp, the stream reverts back to Adam Curry and his pal. And I I feel bad that I can't remember his his buddy's name because he's doing a lot of the back end work on podcasting 2.0, but it is what it is. It's amazing what we're going to be able to do. And if you did not know that this was possible, it is. Um, I just can't do it yet there. And I'm hoping that wave Lake wave Lake was basically saying that they're going to bring what Adam Curry is able to do and then make that available for me to be able to do. Don't know exactly how they're going to do it, Uh, but it would be really cool if I could drop in the song and somehow or another, it just, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I don't know how they're going to actually do that because it seems like there's a fair amount of another kind of editing where you have to put in a timestamp to redirect the stream of Satoshi's, through podcasting 2.0 over to the artist, but I am going to be playing a, a song by a was it what is, what is it? Oh, hold on hold on hold on what's his name I, I I got it here somewhere I got it somewhere Corey Keller so it's not going to be Oliver Anthony because everybody's again they're talking about Joe Rogan and Post Malone but they're also talking about this song that broke all over everything yesterday. And I mean, we're talking Bitcoiners, we're talking mainstream, no coiners, we're talking mainstream in general. This thing is freaking everywhere. And it's a good tune. I'm not going to play it. And the reason is because if I play that thing full length, I would have to capture it off of YouTube. It is a hit song. It's propelling Oliver Anthony into, you know, at least in the near term, some form of stardom, which means all algorithms are going to be scanning for that song. And if I put that thing on SoundCloud, eh, I, you want to talk about some people that really get pissed off about you uh, uh, playing somebody's copyrighted material. That's why I'm playing nothing but stuff off of Wave Lake. That's why. 
because I don't have to I don't have to deal with that bullshit. But we might as well talk about what what what's this song? What why is it who's this Oliver Anthony guy and this rich men north of Richmond? That's the song that everybody's screaming about. So whiskeyriff.com has a story about it and it was written and released uh yesterday. Virginia native Oliver Anthony Anthony makes powerful debut rich men north of Richmond. An overnight sensation, Oliver Anthony is going to be a name you want to know. A significant spotlight was shined on this artist with the recent release of his Radio WV session, broadcasting his traditional sound with modern lyrics to a vast audience. Now, this is the part that I really like. He resides on 90 acres in Farmville, Virginia, with his three dogs and pursuing an off-the-grid life. He writes songs in his free times, but has the talent to make it what he does full time. Anthony's sound is the perfect rebirth of traditional sound. His vocals are reminiscent of Hank Williams Jr. and Ward Davis with a little more twang in the traditional or tradition of outlaw lyrics is alive and well in his songs. In his acoustic session of Rich Men North of Richmond, he tells the story of a working class man fed up with corporate America and more specifically the politicians in Washington, D.C. and the game that executives expect the character to play. It sends the message of a giant middle finger to the powers that be from an employee just trying to make it by. Quote from the song, I've been selling my soul, working all day, overtime hours, bullshit pay, so I can sit out here and waste my life away. The conviction he sings each word is incredible. And this singular video highlights his unbridled talent. The sound of Anthony completely blew away viewers taking to the video's comment section. We have these quote, just want you to know that I cried on my way home from the plant. Listening to this, I haven't heard someone making music really talk about how truly it is out there. Had chills the whole time. I really hope you make it dude, because you're what we need right now. Another one. It's very rare for me to get goosebumps from a song, but this, this song, insanely good. The lyrics, the performance, stellar. I have a feeling we will be seeing a lot more of this guy, God willing. Another one, a curse and a prayer in a beautifully painful song, and he captured how nearly all of us feel. I certainly do. Thanks for sharing your art with us, Mr. Anthony. All blessings to you, sir. Another one, this song ripped right through me. Don't ever stop preaching, brothers. Stay blessed. And the last one, this man needs our support as much as we need his message and songs. Oliver Anthony set out on a mission to make music that resonated with the working class. And I'd say by these comments, he hit the nail on the head with this tune. The feedback is phenomenal for his discovery video, converting thousands of viewers to fans in just three minutes. I have a feeling we'll be seeing a lot more of Oliver Anthony. Yeah, you probably will. (laughs) You probably will. It's a good tune. And some people are calling it country. It's not. It's what's known as Americana. Think Johnny Cash. Um, uh, there's, well, actually, you know, honestly, all you really need to do is think Johnny Cash. There's a whole bunch of artists that are Americana artists. Uh, Tom Petty is another one. If you didn't know that, he's more Americana, but he's on the rock and roll side of it. Um, but it's not country. Some people will think that it is, but it's, it's really not. And there's, I think that, I think the distinction is, is worthwhile because whereas 
country tells, you know, kind of stories. Americana really is the medium of choice for storytelling and song. It has a rich history, been around forever, predates country music, you name it, dude. This goes all the way back to like, you know, Americana kind of goes all the way back to the colonies, but we won't get into it. But, um, so putting out, putting out the, the, the word here, um, if you guys want to try to get Oliver Anthony over on Noster, all right. And get, we, we, it would be nice to find out if he is a Bitcoiner already. If he's not, then he's going to be. <laughs> he's going to be. Um, and he's got more than just this one song. And the other ones are pretty good too. And again, I'm not going to play him because, uh, because the spotlight is all over him. If I play any more than 20 seconds of one of his tunes, I guarantee you somebody is going to get their panties in a snit and come tell me all about it. You know who else has got their underwear in a wad? The SEC. SEC punts on ARC 21 shares spot Bitcoin ETF opens proposal to comments. This is their basically the way that they operate nowadays. Turner Wright, Cointelegraph. The United States Securities and Exchange Commission has delayed a decision on approving or disproving the spot Bitcoin exchange traded fund ETF proposed by ARC Investment Management. In an August 11th notice, the SEC opened a 21-day comment period for the ARC-21 shares Bitcoin ETF to the public following publication in the Federal Register, the latest delay for the regulator determining whether to approve or disprove of a spot crypto ETF in the United States. ARC originally filed to list the ETF back in May, giving the SEC a maximum of 240 days, and that would have actually ended in January of 2024 to reach a final decision. For a listing on the CBOE BZX exchange, ARC Investments Investment Management's aim, an applicant must provide evidence of a comprehensive surveillance sharing agreement in place with a regulated market of significant size. The SEC has previously rejected the firm's crypto ETF proposals, claiming that they would not be designed to prevent fraudulent and manipulative or manipulative acts and practices or protect investors. Quote, the regulated market of significant size test does not require that the spot Bitcoin market be regulated in order for the commission to approve this proposal and precedent makes clear that an underlying market for a spot commodity or currency being a regulated market would actually be an exception to the norm the sec stated on august the 11th kathy wood founder of arc investment management said in an august 7th interview that she expected the sec to delay the decision However, she also predicted the commission could simultaneously approve multiple spot BTC ETFs at some point in the future. ARK Investment Management is one of the many firms in the U.S. applying to get a spot crypto ETF listed on a regulated exchange. BlackRock, the largest asset management firm in the whole world, notably sent in its own application in July. A number of firms also amended existing applications to include cryptocurrency exchange Coinbase as a surveillance sharing partner. Following reports, SEC officials could be more open to accepting a spot crypto ETF under those conditions. So as of August 11th, the SEC has not approved any spot crypto ETF application for listing shares in the U.S., but started allowing investment vehicles linked to BTC futures in October of 2021. Grayscale, 
is currently engaged in a legal battle with the SEC over the commission's refusal to allow the listing of its Bitcoin trust as a spot Bitcoin ETF. All right, coming back up here to this, where it says, an applicant must provide evidence of a comprehensive surveillance sharing agreement in place with a regulated market of sufficient or significant size. Okay, that's the that's the important thing. Because if we all remember... In the BlackRock listing, they listed Coinbase specifically as their comprehensive surveillance sharing partner or agreement partner. And then after that, all these other people amended their spot Bitcoin ETF applications to do the exact same thing with the exact same language. And I'm pretty damn sure that that was also the case with Kathy Wood's ARK investment or this 21 shares thing. Um, is it the case that they want Black Rocks to come out first and that that's why they delayed it? Well, I don't know. It doesn't seem to me that they needed to delay this at all. They could have waited until January of this coming year to do anything at all. They could have delayed it then. Why delay it now? Why delay it in what ends up being the like the first quarter or first third of the 240-day waiting period that would have expired January 2024. That's confusing to me. And that's the, there's something going on here, I think. I mean, my gut says that they didn't need to delay right now. They could have waited. If they really don't want a spot Bitcoin ETF, then they should have waited the full 239 days and on the last day, then delay it for a 21 day period, uh, comment period. So ask yourself why they're delaying this one so early in this application process. I mean, 240 days is a long time and you can extend that shit even longer. But if you, and I don't know this for a fact, but it seems to me that they basically deleted the last part of the initial wait period by filing for this, this new waiting period. Now, I don't know that if one of you guys are out there that have a lot of uh, uh, experience with SEC filings of this nature and can tell me whether or not that's true, I would appreciate it. And you can do that through a boostagram. Now, uh, <clears throat> could Bitcoin be our best chance to mitigate runaway methane emissions? I don't know. Daniel Batten from Bitcoin Magazine has this one. I didn't get interested in Bitcoin because of its ability to solve financial issues. My background is investing in climate technology. When I first heard about Bitcoin, I was highly skeptical and regarded it as a negative to the environment. However, I was persuaded to put prejudice to one side and evaluate it as I would any other technology that I was doing due diligence on. After evaluating the claims and data from both sides, I reached the conclusion that on net balance, Bitcoin had the unique ability to solve more than one difficult to solve climate change issue. First, some context. I've been a climate activist since the 90s. Several years ago, I channeled this into working in the space of climate tech. Between 2014 and 2019, I traveled around New Zealand, hearing some of the smartest people in the country discussing their ideas and helping them to commercialize them. Most of these ideas were some form of climate tech. I encountered over 200 different climate tech propositions during this time and set up my first climate tech fund at the end of 2019. Throughout that time, I never encountered a technology that had the immediacy, scalability, and potential impact on Bitcoin, of Bitcoin mining using vented methane gas to measurably reduce global emissions pre-2030. 
One day, as part of my work at the fund, I was reading an article about methane emissions. It said that methane was 84 times more warming than carbon dioxide over a 20-year period, that it was rising parabolically, and that the UN said reducing methane is our strongest lever to reduce climate change. I was shocked. How, as a climate tech fund manager, could I have neglected addressing methane emissions? I did some further research and found out I wasn't the only one. Out of every dollar spent on climate tech, only two cents was going toward methane mitigation. That day, I got brutally honest with myself and asked, how much of a difference am I making? There was no doubt that we were investing in some brilliant technologies and that people could reduce emissions on a global scale, but it turned out that a lack of emphasis on methane mitigation was not my only oversight. The tech we invested in, one, was high risk. It may never scale. Two, would only reduce emissions post-2030. And three, was not addressing our most urgent emission issue. I asked the question, could I be doing more? The answer was, of course, yes. I could be investing in technologies that were low risk, able to measurably reduce emissions pre-2030, able to address our number one lever to reduce climate change in the next 25 years, which is methane. I started researching more about methane mitigation technology. Most of it was like carbon dioxide emission technology, high-risk technology that wouldn't be available until after 2030. While there was no doubt that we should also be investing in those technologies, that was no longer my focus. I decided that if I was going to create a third fund, it would be optimized for immediate impact and maximize emissions reduced per dollar invested. Otherwise, there was no point. So I began researching two things. <clears throat> One, how to use low-risk technology available immediately to reduce emissions pre-2030. Two, what our major sources of methane were. To answer the first question, I looked at proven ways to reduce methane emissions using existing technologies. Reading the work of experts from the Environmental Defense Fund and also the United States Environmental Protection Agency, there was little doubt that the technology existed to perform methane mitigation at scale today, power generation. In other words, capturing the methane and sending it to a generator, turning it into electricity. Okay, that sounds like a good idea, particularly with energy prices spiking globally, I thought. So I turned to our second question. Where is most of our methane coming from? The answer that I found was agriculture, oil and gas, and landfills. However, of those three, the one that seemed easiest to do something about quickly was also one that my calculations told me would be our number one methane emitter by 2032, overtaking agriculture, and that would be landfills. You thought I was going to say oil and gas, didn't you? Nope. Landfills. Yeah, landfills. I tell, I shit you not. And I actually agree with these numbers. That led me to the question that changed everything that I was doing. Why isn't this being done already? As one expert who'd been doing landfill-based power generation projects since 2005 explained to me, landfills are never in the right place. In many cases, negotiating with the power grid or sorry, negotiating with the grid owner is complex and bureaucratic. And even if you can do it, often the grid needs a major substation upgrade to be able to take that power. And that ends up being too expensive. But what if rather than selling the power to the grid, you had someone who could use it on location at the landfill? He shook his head. But who would want to do that? He asked. 
Landfills are smelly places, and the methane is a health hazard. No one would set up a business there. That was the point where two worlds suddenly collided for me. Several months earlier, I'd been researching Bitcoin, not because I thought it had any merits in terms of climate tech. In fact, I thought it was bad for the environment. It was simply a hobby. I like to get to the bottom of issues and understand the data behind them. Bitcoin was simply in that category. I had environmentalist friends who told me that Bitcoin was bad for the environment, but I also had a friend in the Bitcoin community who told me that that was nonsense based on people's lack of understanding of Bitcoin mining. The turning point came in late 2021 when I talked to Vlatko Materik, an environmentalist and the founder of one, our, of one of our climate tech companies who challenged my assumptions about energy and Bitcoin and encouraged me to dig deeper. I did and quickly learned that he was right. Bitcoin's location agnostic features and high percentage of operating costs spent on electricity made it ideally suited to using stranded energy that no one else wanted or was able to access. Listening to grid operators, Bitcoin miners, and renewable energy engineers was critical during this time. Had I relied on academic articles and journalism, I would have come away with some very different conclusions. When I did read the latter, by contrast, it became more and more apparent to me that they were critiquing a technology that they didn't fully grasp. This lack of reliable data on Bitcoin's environmental impact from the articles and studies that I read led me to do my own studies. So, skipping forward in time, when the landfill experts said that no one would want to locate at landfills, I said to myself, I know someone who would. Turned out that others had already thought of that, and that two Bitcoin mining companies were either already doing landfill gas-powered Bitcoin mining or on the cusp of doing it, and that would be nodal power and Vespine energy. When I did the math on Bitcoin using vented methane gas, it was a eureka moment. A fund that financed the deployment of infrastructure into Bitcoin mining using landfill gas could mitigate more emissions than any financial instrument that I'd seen. It was 65 times more emission reducing than solar installations. To put the above chart into context, and yes, there is a chart here, but I won't get into it. Well, I guess we'll say Vinton methane is 63.4 tons of CO2 emitted every year. Bitcoin, or I'm sorry, the flared methane from flare gas wells is 6.6, what, 6.6 trillion? Yeah, 6.6 trillion tons a year. And solar is one point, offsets 1.4 trillion tons of, of CO2 a year. And the vented methane and flared methane, he's talking about being able to capture that with with Bitcoin mining so that it doesn't get out there. So these are these are levels of reduction, not not f- how much vented methane goes into the atmosphere. But this is a level of reduction because of Bitcoin mining and vented methane. But it says vented, and this this that this maybe he'll get he'll he'll explain that a little bit. Is it vented from landfills versus flared methane from oil gas? I don't know. It's not very clear here, but let's get into the rest of it. To put the above chart into context, for someone living in the West, our calculations suggested that 108 bucks could offset their emissions for the year. Less than 10,000 could offset their entire carbon footprint for a lifetime. We did some work to build a team and come up with a business model that could return a steady yield to our wholesale investors, and that became the basis of the fund C4, or sorry, CH4 Capital. CH4 is a chemical, uh, is how you represent methane in chemistry, just so you know. I didn't start off as a Bitcoin advocate, but I've become one. 
My conclusion, there's probably never been a more important technology for our chances of mitigating runaway methane emissions, enabling the renewable transition, and as I found out along the way, giving financial sovereignty to more than 4 billion people for the first time ever. I feel there's something I can do beyond my own carbon footprint that could make a difference to our emission levels. It's a drop in the bucket, but it's a start, and it's a start that we wouldn't have without Bitcoin. That's why I say Bitcoin is climate action. Okay. I know that there's people out there that are like, you know, hooping and hollering. There's, there's Bitcoiners seem to be sitting on two sides of a fence when it comes to anything to do with Bitcoin and climate change and emissions. One is that every time that we talk about anybody that wants to use Bitcoin to reduce emissions or talk about Bitcoin as green energy, they get shit on by the people that think it's all a scam. And I'm actually one of the people that think that the hysterics around climate change uh, are more of a fear tactic for control than actual truth. But, but there are some things about the environment that I see Bitcoin mining being able to mitigate. And I don't really worry that much about methane. I, I, and I don't really worry about the other thing that I have in my head anyway, but it's, it's being able to sequester carbon. And people will look at me and go, oh, so you're you're one of the lunatics yourself then, aren't you, Dave? No, not really. Because carbon sequestration for me is important for soil health anyway, even without, if there was no fear about climate change, if none of these people were being hysterical about climate change, if for the last 70 years, nobody had said a freaking peep or a word or a syllable that had any connection to do with climate change, I would still want to sequester carbon as a recalcitrant carbon, which means that recalcitrant means it doesn't move. It doesn't change its form. It go, you bury solid carbon in the ground. It stays solid carbon in the ground for like 10,000 years, probably a lot longer than that. And it's what it does for the soil. And that's why that's why I, I like the ideas of anything that I can use Bitcoin mining or Bitcoin for that produces recalcitrant carbon and then be able to put that shit and bury it into the soil in some various ways because it's good for the soil. And then all of a sudden you get more shit growing on it, which then sequesters more carbon into the soil, which makes the soil even better. And you get on this 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 upward spiral of more and more carbon being dumped into the soil. Okay, and then all of a sudden you can take part of carbon credits. Yes, I know you want to kill me, don't you? That's okay. Uh, if the government is going to offer me money, I, I take the Jack Spearco approach when I, when I think about stuff like carbon credits. If they're going to offer it to me, then I am going to take their money any way that they will give it to me until at such time it equals the amount of money they've stolen from me through fucking taxes. So I don't give a shit if they're going to be dumb and do carbon credits and they're going to give me money because I'm able to prove with beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm burying so many tons of recalcitrant carbon into the soil. So be it. That's what I will do. But that's not the end of the story. We've got other things going on, right? What is what's the other thing going on? Worldcoin is still here, guys. We're, it's, I, it's not going away. Okay, don't don't ever buy Worldcoin. Don't scan your irises. Stay as far away from this shit as possible. But it's this is a thing, and you've got to be aware. Worldcoin opens up WLD reservations 
for unverified users. Prussian Jaw, Cointelegraph, <clears throat> the iris scanning crypto project WorldCoin has now made it possible for even unverified customers to reserve their WorldCoin tokens. Do you want me to read that again so you understand what's going on? WorldCoin has now made it possible for even unverified customers to reserve their WorldCoin tokens. In an announcement on August the 11th, the WorldCoin project noted that the World app now offers a reservations feature to make it easier for everyone to reserve their WLD tokens before verifying their actual World ID. The reservation will be valid for 12 months and users can redeem their reserved World tokens by visiting the iris scanning device called the orb the worldcoin project consists of three key elements the worldcoin id the worldcoin app and the worldcoin token users willing to scan their irises to create a biometric database id system are rewarded with native wld tokens worldcoin launched on july the 24th after three years of development the project promises to create a global database for humans to differentiate it from the bots in the future the project has made some bold claims and proposes to solve utopian problems, resulting in a comparison with sci-fi shows such as Black Mirror. However, the project is already facing multiple investigations and regulatory troubles for its operations. Okay, <clears throat> what's important to note here is that they got in big trouble in Kenya, right? And they're going to and they're being looked at in Germany, France, and Italy, I think, somewhere else. And more African nations other than than Kenya are also going to be very not happy with these people for various reasons, which I, I got into yesterday, but I won't rehash them here. The point is, is that they're pivoting. WorldCoin is making a pivot. It's not about the iris. It's not about the world ID. They're selling a shit coin. Of course, they always were. But this pivot where you can now, without scanning your iris reserve your world coin sets them up for making the iris scanning on the orb optional later because why they're giving you 12 months to be able to well you can just scan your iris at any time but we'll reserve the coins for you and then watch in six months as they say we've got a fork of world coin and now we've got the unverified world coin and the verified world coin and both will be valid tokens but some of the tokens, the unverified identity tokens, might not have as much access to the WorldCoin network as the identified ones. You see where this goes? You see, this is a main pivot. And this tells me that they're worried. I, does it mean that WorldCoin is going to die? No, it doesn't. But hey, we can only hope. All right. So it's song time before we break for running the numbers. This is Corey Keller. Making my way past 4 a.m. It's a long drive again. Searching for something to pass the time as you Keep driving these nails in my head
West Texas Intermediate is up 1.01% to $83.66 a barrel. Brent North Sea up a point to $87.22. Natural gas falling by just under a full point, $2.73 per gallon or per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline is up, damn, 2.5% today to $2.97. All your shiny metal rocks are in the shitter today, including gold, 0.12% to the downside, 1946.60. Silver's down a third, platinum's down a quarter, copper down 1.24%, and palladium is basically moving just sideways. Uh, Ag is pretty much fully mixed. Biggest winner today is cotton, 2.6 to the upside. Biggest loser is coffee, 1.28 to the down. I got live cattle down a fifth of a point. I got lean hogs up 1.65. Feeder cattle up almost a fifth of a point. Dow is up 0.12%. S&P is down a quarter. NASDAQ down almost a full point, ladies and gentlemen. And the S&P mini down 0.11%. Real money chilling out at $29,401. We have what? Average transaction value of 0.69 BTC. Median transaction value of about $109. Block times are low. 9 minutes, 7 seconds. 0.16 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. And 25.7 taken in fees overall in the last 24 hour period. With a 6.07% decrease in hash rate, we're back down to 369 point three exa hashes per second and dogecoin your shitcoin indicator is 7.6 united states pennies looks like we have a 570.3 billion dollar market cap that's 4.42 percent of gold's market cap you can purchase 15.3 ounces of shiny metal rocks with your one bitcoin of which there are 19 million four hundred fifty four thousand one hundred and eighteen 4,712 of those are in the Lightning Network valued at $138.1 million. We have 16,318 nodes that we can see and 68,731 payment channels that we can also see. 72.8% of all of that is being run over Tor. Mempools are kind of full. Uh, Well, of course, well, they've been full. Let's but they're really full today. Let's just say it that way. 140 blocks, which I haven't seen in quite a while, carrying 474,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to be, con- well, w- waiting to clear the mempools. And we have high priority transaction fees of 15 Satoshis per V-byte, low priorities of nine, and purging everything under five and a half Satoshis per V-byte. Um, I'm back in the charts in the top 25, but I am far away from number 10. I didn't, I couldn't even count how low down I was, but thank you for all the help, especially from people like letter 6173 with a striper boost 7777 says focus on health and family for low time preference success. Sats McDuck with 7,000 value for value. Nook underscore dose with 2345 says cheers. Dubrovko with a thousand says, yeah, dude, you've been purged. Got to put something out, even if it's only 15 minutes. Throw us a bone, bring a laptop, record 15 minutes, subtitle it Vodka episode, and we will still boost you. Yours should come up for BitBlock Boom. Hmm. Be interesting. I'd like to go back to BitBlock Boom just, just to be there. Jory McKee, X McKee with 666 says, pre-boosting, we'll listen on the road trip this weekend. God's death with 420, we need you higher. God's death with another 420 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Jim Leahy with 300 says, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Nick underscore dose with 100 says, which 100 sap boost will be displayed last? 
And you know who that is. It's Pies. 100 sats. Thank you, sir. No, thank you. That's going to do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news you can use. Uh, hunting season is coming up, guys, if you want to be hunting deer, elk, that kind of thing. And if you want to be doing it anywhere close to southwest Colorado, I've got the accommodations for you. At roughly 250 bucks a night, you can stay in a house that sleeps eight people with three bedrooms, three full bathrooms, a full, and might I say, well-stocked kitchen. How do I know? Because I stocked it myself. Me and my wife cook every meal. We hardly ever go out to eat. This kitchen, you can do Christmas dinners. You can do like full Thanksgiving dinners. You can do full Easter dinners. You can, it, you've got it. Okay. There's, there's no, we're, you, they don't even have a cutting knife. Yes, we have several. They don't even have a cutting board. Yes, we have several. They don't even have cast iron. Oh, we got you covered, pal. So <clears throat> name of the house is Aspenwood. It is in Southwest Colorado in the middle of the San Juan mountains uh, and hunting season is approaching very fast. Uh, last part of September or yeah, well, September, October and November are the prime hunting seasons for up there. We do have space available. I will drop the VRBO link to the house directly into the show notes so you can go right to it. You don't have to fight uh, fight to find what the hell it is that I'm talking about. Now, with that said, let's get into Bitcoin mining could help decarbonize energy grids, researchers say. Yes, we just did that whole thing from Bitcoin Magazine when he was talking about gas coming out of landfills. This one is a different take on the whole climate aspect of Bitcoin. And by the way, this is Decrypt. It's written by uh, Andrew Thorvalis. Does Bitcoin mining help or hurt the environment? Blockchain experts sought an answer to that question in a newly released, first of its kind, academic paper on the matter. In their conclusion, it could help with some key changes. Oh joy. Quote, our findings show that renewable-based mining could potentially drive a net decarbonizing effect on energy grids, although key adaptations and mining practices are needed to fully realize the potential. Read the abstract of the paper written by blockchain researchers Juan Ignacio Ibanez and Dr. Alexander Freer. Published earlier this week, their analysis examined the realities of the mining industry's carbon footprint and its potential to expand renewable energy capacity, providing a balanced perspective between both sides of the Bitcoin environmental debate. After just two days, the paper has amassed more views than 95% of the 24 million papers ever published on Altmetric. Okay. Mr. Ibanez. I used to have an Ibanez guitar. It was actually really good. Mr. Ibanez did not immediately respond for request for comment. The analysis states that a series of unique characteristics set miners apart from other energy buyers, helping provide additional income and ancillary services to renewable energy grids. Some of these characteristics include flexibility of load, interrupterability, portability, and waste heat utilization. For example... Miners can help absorb excess power generated by wind and solar facilities, helping those firms become more profitable. They also could be used to monetize stranded natural gas and landfill gas that would otherwise be flared into the atmosphere as highly pollutive methane using containerized mining and generator solutions. Though mining's impact on grid management and renewable power generation is already visible, 
The paper notes that it still isn't large enough to impact the sector at large. Quote, should the adoption of proof-of-work mining intensify, that scale can change, it stated. <clears throat> Some challenges on the industry's road to decarbonization include the short-term price volatility of BTC itself, alongside external regulatory challenges. Furthermore, alternative technologies may supplement Bitcoin mining in the process of grid decarbonization, such as water desalinization, CO2 removal, and batteries. So far, estimates of Bitcoin CO2 emissions vary widely depending on the measurements and sources used. On Wednesday, the Bitcoin Mining Council survey data suggested that the sector's sustainable power mix is roughly 59.9%. Quote, the convergence of Bitcoin mining and RE usage demands consistent and evolving research efforts, the report concluded. So this this whole climate talk about Bitcoin, but now in a much better light than previously, that's, there was a catalyst to that. And that was this other, it was like another report. And I think it was by like a fund manager or something like that. And I cannot remember the name of the report, but it came out a couple of weeks ago. And ever since I've seen only stories about how good Bitcoin is for the environment. Are we talking about a a wholesale shift in attitude? I don't know. I really don't. I wish I did, but I don't. So I'm just going to leave it with you and you can figure out what you want to do with it. That's why I read you the whole text of these articles so that I'm not impacting how you can think about it. Again, when you're screaming at me because I'm talking about Bitcoin in the environmental light, these are the things that are happening whether you want to hear about them or not. Okay, they are going to the environmental discussion surrounding Bitcoin is going to impact Bitcoin, whether it's negative or positive. I can't say I think it's basically going to be a mix of both, but they are going to impact Bitcoin either way. And if you're a holder of Bitcoin, then it impacts you. Right. So stop throwing rotten tomatoes at me every time that I bring up a climate thing, although nobody really has. But I'm sure somebody somewhere out there. (laughs) is screaming at me every time I talk about decarbonization, Bitcoin mining, and flared gas. I don't know, man. Anyway, um, the Post Malone thing. I'm just going to go ahead and give you the snippet of that interview where they're talking about CBDCs. Now, there's an article about it from Decrypt, uh, written by Pedro Salomano, entitled Post Malone Disses CBDCs on the Joe Rogan Podcast, and Bitcoiners love it. Let's find out why. So how do you feel about the government's um, digital currency that they're working no on? No fucking way. No way. That's what I think. I think that's checkmate. That's game over. That is fucking checkmate. Because if they apply that to a social credit score, if they decide somehow or another that you need some social credit score system and it's for the benefit of society and they outline that they can you know, track your behavior and your tweets and all your things and you get a, a score – and if already scores, doing that, they they just haven't released the fucking report cards. Well, they, they don't have the kind they of freedom sent that the they re- like. They didn't send the report cards home to the parents yet. Right. It's already. It's everything is already imprinted. Everything is already tracked. Everything is already there. But we they just haven't given it. They just can't control to you to the same extent that they would like. And what they would like to do is to 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 be able to strip you of your money. And to be able to lock you down and then make sure that you comply so that all the other people also comply because they don't want to be stripped of their money. 
They don't want everything they work for just be taken away right. instantly overnight and be powerless. No one to call. No one's going to answer your phone. They just decided you fucked up and the rules are the rules. And so then where does that money go? Who takes your money? Who takes – and that that's what things – when people start profiting off of confiscating people's digital currency, it's going to be a real fucking problem. Well, people well, – it's not – all fucking currency is digital. Yeah, but the idea of them controlling all of the money. And it's all unilateral. Yeah. It's all the same fucking thing. Right. It's all thing. the same fucking thing. That's that's a problem and here's the here's an here's the problem I think is that people are gonna do it due to convenience of it. Yeah. And there it is, right at the very last. That's what is so concerning about the C B D C. We can bark and cry all we want about how bad this is. But what are we? What are you? What are we fighting against? Are we really fighting against the government and like these these bad bad people? No, we're fighting against ourselves. We're fighting against the fact that we're just turned into lazy slobs, man. And that's not just the West. That's everybody in the world. Everybody's fucking tired. It is the perfect time, the perfect time to foist all this bullshit on top of onto the people of the world. We just came out of this bullshit pandemic everybody is tired of the clown show it's a dumpster fire everywhere you look people are walking over human feces and other human filth in like san francisco and whatnot in, in any big city shit i was on it was in seattle and i was watching a dude take a hit off a crack pipe in the middle of downtown one of the main thoroughfares it wasn't like me and my family were walking in a back alley y'all we were going to lunch and there's this dude sitting on a bench with a buddy of his, and they're just like smoking crack. I, what, you know, it's just, so it's the perfect time to say, hey, we're going to make things even easier for you. We know you've had a bad couple of years. Try our CBDC. And it's a death trap. It's enslavement. It has absolutely nothing to do with the furtherment of human goals. It has everything to do with the furtherment of federal government goals, whether they're United States federal government or Canadian federal government. Bank of Canada finds significant barriers to CBDC implementation. This is out of Blockworks, written by Catherine Ross. The picture of Trudeau up here. God, he looks like Castro. I wonder why. Anyway, the Bank of Canada stated on Thursday that significant barriers remain in the implementation of a useful CBDC. In another research paper on CBDCs, the Bank of Canada also highlighted that there's still a lot of uncertainty around possible adoption if Canada were to pursue a CBDC, quote, Nevertheless, even if there were greater market interest than we suggest, the two-sided payment market barriers facing broad-based adoption and use, which would be required for a CBDC to be useful, appear to be significant. However, the bank reiterated that it is committed to being ready to provide a CBDC should the need arise. Outside the payment barriers, the bank also noted that alternatives exist to address the payment needs of Canadian citizens. The majority of the population resides in urban areas with access to the Internet, but the bank found that Internet access in remote areas is relatively poor. Cash dependence could become an issue if a CBDC is issued as a move towards a cashless society, <clears throat> as some Canadian citizens rely more on cash than e-transfers or debit or credit cards. That feeds into any group that seems to be technology averse, who are already reluctant to make payments or purchases online. 
If the Bank of Canada were to introduce a CBDC, it says that these consumers, quote, will also likely face relatively high adoption costs, end quote. Though it notes that the group might also be made up of those who might benefit most from a CBDC because of the issues the consumers face in meeting their payment needs in a cashless environment, environment if Canada were to go fully cashless. Quote, in sum, a large majority of Canadians have access to and use a range of payment methods, but a small share of the population faces constraints or has preferences that limit their use of certain payment methods, the bank said. Overall, the Bank of Canada found that the typical consumer has access to cash, bank accounts, and debit and credit cards and does not face meaningful barriers to accessing financial services or payment methods. The BOC will continue to conduct more granular market research on CBDC interest rate or on in, on CBDC interest and to better understand how it could interact with consumers. A July survey of 1,500 Canadians did find that a very slim majority were willing to use a CBDC if it were introduced, though only 5% were strongly interested in it. That's good news for me. The Bank of Canada announced its consultation on a CBDC back in May, acknowledging that it doesn't need a digital dollar yet, but wanted to be prepared. This goes back to what Post Malone said at the very end of the Rogan clip. People will use it because of its convenience, and he's not wrong. He's just not wrong. I still think that we will see a very severe bifurcation in the human condition. Some humans will not mind being enslaved, and that will actually be what? The majority of humans. I I hate to say it. Does that mean that Bitcoin and all the rest of this stuff just dies? No, because for some reason, the, the term Galt's Gulch has been for, for just, just present in my mind. It's in the forefront of my mind and has been for weeks. And for some reason, I, I just keep thinking about the Galt, Galt's Gulch thing from Ayn Rand's uh, Atlas Shrugged, where all the people that were productive, that were tired of the bullshit, they just bailed out on society in general. And they left society to take care of itself, except they were the ones that actually built the society to begin with. And then they all hightailed it to Galt's Gulch. And what do you think happened? Well, the trains fell apart. Power generation fell apart. You know, search for and extraction of natural resources fell apart. Farming fell apart. Everything falls apart. And basically, society at the end of the book is left on its own to essentially die in the or freeze in the dark, as my dad used to say. And that exactly what would happen. The problem is, these are the fuckers that created that goddamn system in the first place, and then they run away. I know that's probably a not very popular opinion. I know a lot of Bitcoiners love Ayn Rand, and I don't hate her. I actually, I watched, well, I watched the movies. Two and three sucked balls. The first one was okay. I wish a, a you know a really good high quality filmmaker would actually do that book proper justice in film, uh, but it hasn't happened yet. But still, you get enough. You know the main the main speeches are still intact in in the movie, <clears throat> and you get the gist of what the hell's going on. But what's really never said. And none of the people that I know that have read this book uh, have ever said the following that the people that created the system in the first place are the people that left and they're kind of right. 
You know, that it's like that, that's, that's the whole thing is that no, nobody talks about that issue that they ran away. Right. And, <clears throat> but after a while, like, you know, if I think what Ayn Rand was, was saying, I think there's another way to interpret that, that they didn't run away. They lost control of something that they kind of needed to have control over. And when they lost it to centralized governments, who had no idea what it took to actually produce the things that these people produced to create the society that they created, then they had no choice but to leave. So I'm kind of in the middle. I'm kind of sitting on the fence as to whether they were cowards or whether they were just so overwhelmed by the totality and the size of the centralization of sheer fucking power that they had no choice but to get the fuck out. In either way, the rest of society basically froze in the dark. And nobody knows what happens after that. But it would have been an interesting sequel. Still, it's a, it's a, it's a sad thing. But there, there are things that are not so sad, right? Like, uh, let's see, what is this one? We have this thing called Vault. Yes, I'm, I'm changing subjects. Vault. A free and open source Noster password manager. For all you guys out there that have been on the fence about Noster, stop it. Get off the fence. Get on Noster. It ain't going to kill you. You need to learn this shit anyway. This is no bullshit Bitcoin. Uh, Vault is a decentralized password manager where your passwords are encrypted by your keys and stored on relays. Ooh. This kind of sounds a little scary. Let's find out more. Vault utilizes zero-knowledge encryption to safeguard your data while storing it on Noster Network for enhanced resilience. Vault saves all your passwords and notes securely by encrypting your data twice, once with your secret key and once with your passcode. Your data are not stored on any centralized server, but rather on a set of relay servers. This means that it is resilient to attacks and that you are the only one who can access your passwords. Security experts recommend that you use a different randomly generated password for every account that you create, and Vault makes this easy. Vault can generate passwords and store them for you. This means that you only need to remember one password, your passcode. Looking to store and swiftly retrieve your data? Vaults facilitates searchable items, allowing you to effortlessly copy the desired information with a single click. And Vault is free, open source, and decentralized, and always will be. So go check out Vault, all right? Um, where, where, where the hell is Vault? I was kind of hoping that they would, oh, uh, download the extension. Let's see where that takes us. Yeah, you can get this as a password manager on Noster. If you're on desktop, Chromium will allow, this is the Chrome web store. <clears throat> and it's just entitled Vault Password Manager on Noster. Again, that's Vault Password Manager on Noster. Again, understand all this shit's new. There are inherent risks in doing something brand new. So if you want to go try this out, please don't do it with your bank account passwords. You know, I don't know, go to time magazine and, or whatever.com and get a, an account there or something like that and, and see if you can just use, use shit you don't care about to test it. But again, it's vault password manager on Noster. Now Alameda hits a snag in lawsuit over the $9 billion locked in grayscale Bitcoin trust. Andre Bogansky 
Decrypt.co. Alameda Research has said it needs more time to assemble co-plaintiffs in its lawsuit against Grayscale that seeks to unlock billions of dollars in investments from two of Grayscale's trusts. The FTX affiliate requested until September 15th to respond to Grayscale's motion to dismiss the lawsuit, which Grayscale indicated it does not oppose, according to a court filing. Alameda said an anticipated co-plaintiff that it needed to find to proceed with the lawsuit has inexplicably bowed out. Quote, it was no longer prepared to join the litigation, at least at this time. The shareholder declined to explain why it had changed its mind, the lawsuit's plaintiffs said. Time to assemble additional plaintiffs will allow Alameda to have sufficient shares outstanding in two of Grayscale's trusts. Plaintiffs need 10% of the shares outstanding to bring a derivative lawsuit, one brought by shareholders on behalf of the corporation, according to Grayscale's agreement for its Bitcoin trust. Alameda sued Grayscale and its parent company, Digital Currency Group, back in March. The lawsuit also asserted claims against Grayscale CEO Michael Schonenschein and DCG owner Barry Silbert. The lawsuit, filed in the Court of Chancery in Delaware, claimed an improper redemption ban regarding Grayscale's Bitcoin and Ethereum trust prevents FTX debtors and creditors from realizing around $250 million of value. The lawsuit's goal is to unlock $9 billion or more in value for shareholders by instituting a redemption plan for both trusts and reducing their associated fees, according to a press release from FTX. FTX leaving Countless investors burned in its wake. And then Alameda, FTX's sister company, are both accused of making risky bets with customer cash that was improperly commingled. Sam Bankman-Fried, founder of both companies, faces multiple criminal charges related to the collapse of the firm. Yeah, but he's never going to see the day one inside of a jail. I guarantee it. As FTX's new leadership under John Ray III seeks to minimize the haircut debtors and creditors receive in Chapter 11 bankruptcy, suing Grayscale over redemptions of shares the firm says are not currently authorized could become moot. Grayscale is engaged in a lawsuit with the Securities and Exchange Commission that, if it wins, would fix redemption issues with GBTC by allowing Grayscale to convert the trust into a Bitcoin ETF. An ETF is an investment vehicle that tracks the value of an underlying asset. Suzu, a co-founder of the now-bankrupt hedge fund Three Arrows Capital, pointed to GBTC's GBTC's illiquid nature as one of the reasons that his company collapsed amid a credit squeeze following Terra and Luna's high-profile implosion last summer. Quote, The lawsuit filed by Sam Bankman-Fried's hedge fund, Alameda Research, is entirely without merit, a grayscale spokesperson told Decrypt. Quinn Emanuel, Urquhart, and Sullivan, the law firm representing FTX debtors in Alameda's case, did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Alameda was granted an extension in late July that gave them until August the 4th to find the co-plaintiffs it needed according to the court filing, and while the last deadline was missed, the FTX affiliate says it believes an additional six weeks will be sufficient in terms of culling shareholders and participate alongside it. Quote, Over 45 parties, including dozens of individuals and numerous funds and family offices, have already indicated that they are willing to participate as additional plaintiffs, the plaintiff said, adding that, quote, have contacted hundreds of shareholders and received outreach from thousands more. They have not yet had an opportunity to contact. Okay, so the Alameda stuff still alive and well and GBTC is just 
again, this it's like a it's like this thing is FTX, Alameda, GBTC, all the rest of these guys that are like still kind of alive and they're in court cases and that's why they're alive. It's like they've balled up into this really tight mud ball. And it's just, if that can crack and these guys can just go away, then we can all get on with our lives. Let's hope that we can get on with our lives. Going to finish us out with this one from, excuse me, uncle rockstar. He's got some information about Baltic honey badger in Riga He says that it's always been a special conference. And this year it's going to be even more special because for the first time, a Noster party is included. It's scheduled for the night of September 3rd and open to all conference ticket holders. Since the organizers were impressed by what they experienced at the Noster Beach Party in Miami, they've asked Uncle to assist with the organization of Noster Party Riga. That's the hashtag. Hashtag Noster Party Riga, all one word. I tried to explain that it was all done by Jaeger Petrov, Roya, and Max and other volunteers, but they wouldn't listen. So here I am launching the effort to raise awareness about the party among all the Nostriches coming to Riga and to help cover drinks for everyone. The home base for receiving funds will be this geyser page, and I will include that geyser page in the show notes In fact, let me do it right now so I don't forget. It's going to be, yeah, we'll do it up here. Hold on. I just want to make sure I don't forget that. Okay. Um, More practically, you can just zap this post. Uncle has updated his Nostra profile so that zaps go to NostraPartyRiga23 at geyser.fund until we reach the ultimate goal of 4,200,000 Satoshis. I am joined in this effort by Mars, Derek Ross, and Jeff G, who have also updated their profiles to the fundraiser lightning address. So, any zaps of their notes that you make in the next day will contribute to drinks for all of the Nostriches in Riga. <clears throat> All other costs of the venue were gracefully covered by conference organizers. Plus, drum roll, please. We have the legendary DJ Root Zoll performing. Every donation of 21,000 sats or more gets an invite to the Telegram channel of the party. After you zap, DM me a screenshot as proof of donation and you'll get a link to join. The highest donation to the fundraiser will win win a ticket to Baltic Honey Badger 2023 valued at 300 euros, which is roughly 1.1 million Satoshis. You can use it for yourself or donate it to someone. It's all up to you. Let the Noster Party Riga hashtag kick off with Pleb Chain and Zapathon. That geyser fund, by the way, has been doing extremely well. In fact, let's go look. What is it? What's it up to right now? This is the Noster Party Riga 23 from geyser.fund. And where are we at? Why doesn't it? Oh, they're at 3.3 million Satoshis. They're looking for what? 4.2. So they're close. They're really close. And I think Riga's kind of a ways off. Yeah, they're looking for 4.2 million sats. They now have 3.3 million Satoshis. They are very close to their goal. I hope you guys will put them over, and that is going to do it for the Morning Roundup. All right, guys, I'm going to let you off the chain with this dad joke. I returned my lizard to the pet store as he wouldn't stop telling dad jokes. 
That's not a lizard, the store clerk told me. That's a stand-up chameleon. All right, guys, make sure that you go and uh, check out the uh, Geyser Fund for the Noster Party 23. Uh, you'll see lots of references. If you're following Guy, I think it's Geyser Fund Me uh, is the, I think is the name of, hold on, let me see if I can find it, is the name of the uh, Noster account that's keeping track of donations on Geyser Fund. And if I can find, maybe I can find it real quick. Probably won't be able to. No, 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 no. Okay, I can't find it. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't matter. You'll you'll see it. At one point or another, you will see something that says something like uh, either uh, Geyser Fund, um, uh, somebody's donated to Uncle Rockstar. You might see uh, Uncle Rockstar's actual uh, note. And by the way, his that actual note that I read to you, the link to that will also be in the show notes. And um, let's see, is there anything else that I got to hit? Oh yeah, if you want to support the show, Podcasting 2.0 is always the way to go. You can stream me Satoshis. You can boost me Satoshis. You can ask me questions through those Boostograms. You can shoot me the middle finger in those Boostograms if you so choose. Just please... Attach some sats with that thing, and I will see you on the other side. Have a good weekend. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.